No doubt if there's one thing that we would love to eliminate, not only in the church, but in our own lives, that would have to do with hypocrisy. One of the biggest reasons why young people have left the faith is due to the hypocritical living of those around them. That's exactly what we're going to be touching on in today's passage. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's get into it. my friends, Jason Jimenez here, welcoming you guys to another episode here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Blessed to be with you guys as we continue our study here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we are now entering into podcast 231, where we left things off in verses 6 and 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we talked about what a little sin can do. That was obviously building off of the previous lesson in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, where there was... Uh, an issue of an individual who was married and having sexual relations with his stepmother. And Paul was calling out this particular sin. And he's pointing out in the last podcast, and again, if you missed any previous podcast, make sure that you check things out, download them wherever you get your podcasts available. Go to standstrongministries.org and you can click on the resources there for these particular um, studies in the podcast that's available on standstrongministries.org. But one of the things that we were talking about last time is, again, about leaven. And that a little leaven does defile um, the, 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 the bread. And in a sense, what Paul was doing is he was pulling from that, not just that analogy, he's using it metaphorically and using the term, remember the word was zemius, leaven rather than yeast. And he was talking about a piece of fermented dough. And what would happen is they would keep it back uh, from the baking. And then it would be reutilized uh, to leaven the next batch of dough. And then we know that Jesus used the word leaven as a symbol of sin in Matthew 16, verse 6, when he said, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we are to cleanse our life from sin. That was the representation. That was the metaphor for leaven. And this goes back all the way to the Feast of Unleavened Bread that started during Passover, which is the Greek word Pesah, right? When the angel came and delivered, passed over the homes, it had the marking of the blood. And so we who are the holy saints of God, we are marked by the blood of Jesus Christ. Just let that sink in. We have been redeemed. God's wrath passes over. We go from death to life because of his sacrifice the lamb's blood that protected the israelites back then during the passover was a foreshadowing to come that jesus christ saved us from our sins and we touched on hebrews chapter 10 verses 10 through 14 highly encourage you guys to dive once again into that area because we have been sanctified the bible says through the offering of the body of jesus christ once and for all so once saved always saved and we are to live though our life with sincerity and truth, not hypocritically. And that's where we go into this next phase of Paul's point in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where the title is Rightly Judging Those in the Church. And then what we're going to do is we're going to build into the next chapter where Paul talks about the authority that is given to us as his children to judge even angels. 
and we'll we'll get into some of the interpretations of what Paul's referring to there. But this is going to be very important, my friends, because as we dive into this next portion, as we end this series in chapter five, we need to pay close attention that we are not living lives of hypocrisy. We're not living lives that are dishonorable to the Lord and how we honor him and how we honor those in our lives. So let me read you verses nine through 13 so we can get proper context here and then we'll respond verse by verse. Notice Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a rivaler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So right off the bat in verses 9 through 13, here we see that Paul is instructing the Corinthian church on how to deal with immorality within their congregation. And this is important because And it still applies today. This is very applicable today. We need to make sure that we're differentiating between those who are outside of the church, those are referred to as non-Christians or unbelievers or non-believers, and those who are inside the church being, again, followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus Christ, what we refer to as a Christian, who is a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus an individual who is indwelt with the Holy Spirit, a person who believes in God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one. Now, for those outside, I mean, again, Paul's su- suggesting that it's, it is not our duty as Christians to judge them because we know that God will do that. And so, one, we got to pause and consider a few things. When you're addressing the sin of an individual Now, obviously, we got to keep in mind, and the church was just starting, and yes, he was addressing to the Corinthian church that you cannot let sin go unchecked. Because like we talked about last week, the last episode, if sin goes unchecked, if, if if a little leaven is allowed into that dough, it's going to affect it, right? Especially if you're making unleavened bread. If you're making flat bread, if you put leaven in there, it's not going to be flat. If you put sin in your life, you're, you know, you're not going to be holy. There's going to be defilement there. But what we have to understand as Christians is that there are a lot of times when you and I engage people who, and I was just recently doing this with some people who reached out through the ministry and they're basically bad-mouthing Christians and attacking Christians and we're a bunch of idiots, basically, and we don't know what we believe. And they're sick and tired of people like us who are fundamentalists and fanatics who take the Bible literally they really made no points. Now, again, my, my approach is not to judge that person who's living in sin. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. Now, if it was somebody who's claiming to be a Christian, and it, particularly if I know this individual, then I'm, I'm obligated, I'm responsible to do something about it in love. 
right? And confronting this situation with this individual. So we have to know that the things that people do in the world and they are not serving the Lord, they don't believe in God. We have to give them over to God and say that is between them and the Lord. But those within the church, Christians are expected to make judgments regarding immoral conduct, even to the point of isolating individuals who involve themselves in particular sins or any form of sin, again, specifically habitually. When they are thinking, hey, I can have premarital sex and go to church and think nothing of it, or I can embrace uh, my same-sex attraction and that's what I want and, and claim to be a Christian. People who are professing to be Christians in the church, we have to call out. We have to be firm, like a parent who's dealing with a child who disobeys. To help that child, to discipline that child, you need to confront those things. We don't go around disciplining other people's kids. Now, obviously, there's things that you can do to obviously address concerns in, with authority as an adult, and especially like in a church setting. If you are a teacher, if you're a leader, a small group leader, you are responsible to keep those kids in line. But, but we know where the line is drawn, and we know where that line is drawn between those in the church who are sinning and those outside the church who are non-believers who are sinning. Now, as I was just talking to an individual recently, they are engaging in conversation with somebody who's not a believer, and they are witnessing to that person. But if that person says, yeah, from here I'm going to go uh, with my girlfriend, she lives with me, right, and talking about how we're going to go party and get drunk, if that person does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's the life they've chosen to live. And so you can't say, well, you know that's wrong based on what standard. So that, that's the limitations. When you're professing to be a Christian and you're in the church and you're living hypocritically, you ought to know better. So that's where Christians are expected to make judgments regarding certain conduct. Now, he's specifically up to this point of been dealing with immorality. And there comes a point where this this fellow brother or sister is in sin, habitual sin, and it's gotten a hold of them, then you have to isolate that individual that's involved. There is consequences to that sin. So when he says, I wrote to you in my letter, now there are a lot of commentaries, and I read a lot of them who argue uh, extremely to the, to, the, to the nth degree that Paul had written a previous letter that he's referring to, to the Corinthians. I don't think that's the case. I think that in this case, there, there have been several times, actually very minimal. I mean, the other one is in Colossians. And we do believe that there is a letter that he wrote to the Laodiceans that he refers to. Um, but I don't believe that's, that's comparable here. I think that Paul's, what he's saying when I wrote to you in my letter, he's saying up to the point what I've read, what I've wrote to you. I, and I also do believe that it took time for him to write this letter. It's a long one. Chapters, it, got, it has 16 chapters. This is a very extensive letter. One of the most long, one of the longest letters that Paul's written. And you know, I think that's what he's referring to. But commentaries, a lot of commentaries believe Paul wrote a previous letter that was at some point lost that he had written to the Corinthians before he wrote 1 Corinthians and so that's what he was referring to. But again, I think it's most accurate that Paul's referring to what he explained to the Corinthians in his earlier arguments in chapters one through four. If you look at the flow and the technique, I think that's what he's referring to. And I think as he's, as he's responding again into this portion of his letter in 1 Corinthians 5, I think that he had you know 
probably was referring back to it because it was taking him some time through the power of the Holy Spirit to write as he was praying and thinking through things. Now, what he says, when I wrote to you in my letter, if you go back to chapters one through four, it does speak to um, not mixing together, okay? Now, the Greek word, it's a big word. It means not to associate, right? So this word not to associate means not to mix together. And it's a lot, it has two combination of Greek words, sin, anamigonomi. And it's a compound word that's formed by the combination of, again, two Greek words, with or together in the mixing or the mingling. So the phrase not to associate or not to mix together is used to express the idea of not keeping close company or socializing with certain individuals. However, it is important to consider, though, that the context of this verse and its intended meaning when interpreting it further is what we have to look at. So, for example, regarding its usage in the New Testament, the specific compound word, this, again, this long word, sin anamagenomi, this is only used, catch this, this, this specific compound word is only found here in 1 Corinthians 5.9. But it does have some similar concepts or there's similar usage of it when dealing with avoiding close association with certain individuals who are found in sin and are not repentant. And so, for example, if you go into one of uh, Paul's other letters in his second letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17, he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What argument has a temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. So again, with this compound word of not to associate or not to be mixed in or mingled together, you clearly see Paul addressing the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 17. He also mentions in Ephesians 5 verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So when Paul is saying I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Again, he's not saying people that are outside the church, who that's what they believe. And I've had people I've encountered who are not Christian and they've had uh, multiple relationships with people sexually. They cohabit together. They don't have a moral standard. They don't have a belief in God. They may believe that there's a superpower that exists, but they don't believe in the God of the Bible. They don't believe in the true and living God. They don't believe Jesus Christ died on the cross of their sins. They may think he was a good moral teacher. So again, they, they derive supposedly their own moral standards. And so in their mind, lifeless without Christ, dead in their sin and trespasses, they live out their sexual morality. But what we're saying is as Christians, we're not to live that way. We've been saved from the body of death. We've been saved from the old man that we see in Ephesians chapter four. And so we are not to associate, we're not to, you know, hang out with people that are intentionally living hypocritical lives that are defaming the name of the Lord 
and 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 then they they are are willingly submitting their life to a bondage of sexual sin or any form of sin, greed, being swindlers, idolaters. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. So this is important, my friends, that it's important to consider the context and what it's intended to and how we're to interpret it. We're not to keep close company with people. We're not to socialize with certain people who continue to do a form of sin habitually and not recognize it. And that could be a form, that could be somebody, my friends, who claim to be a Christian, yet they're abusive. And you continue to associate with these people. You continue to socialize with these people. Or people who attacked your very conduct or your character. And no matter what you try to say to not only defend yourself, but to call out rightly their sin. And again, Dr. John Townsend, a great Christian psychologist, counselor, he has a great book, you know, Who's Pushing Your Buttons? Uh, and talking about these button pushers that we have to be careful in how we are with people who claim to be Christians and yet they are button pushers where they never, ever take responsibility of any of their sin. They're just, they are experts when it comes to other people's sin. And, and, they, and when, they, when, they, when they get out, get on you about something, I mean, it's so logically sound and true and they think that they are the truth bearers of Christ. And so even that, and we're going to see it in a minute, it are people that you have to disassociate from, all right? And you can't socialize with them because of not just their demeanor, but because of their outright sin. And over and over and over and over and over and over again, they never heed correction. They never repent. You're always the problem. You have to remove yourself. People who are sexually immoral that claim to be a Christian and they are in habitual sin, you have to remove yourself from that person if they're not going to heed the truth of God. This is hard for some people to hear. And I say this with a heart pastorally when I've, I've, I've addressed a lot of situations with people that, that, that find themselves over and over and over and over again. They continue to quote unquote look beyond or look past or think it's not that big of a deal or make excuses. And over time when you let a little leaven, as we talked about, a little sin it's going to get bigger and bigger and the problems are going to continue to grow. So Paul was not referring again, as we said, to sinful people outside the church. Okay, obviously, otherwise you wouldn't be able to hang out with anybody. But notice he focuses on other particular sins outside of just sexual, immoral people. One, he refers to the word greedy and then swindler and idolaters. So let's take one of these at, uh, um, at a time. Greedy. These, these are people who want more of anything that they set their their hearts on no matter the cost and greed is a very serious sin when it's not being dealt with so for example going back to ephesians chapter 4 verse 19 paul says they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity so in chapter 6, we're going to see that Paul exposes how the greed among the Corinthians has caused many of them to steal and even defraud one another. That's why a lot of them are taking each other to court. So they're taking advantage of one another. So greedy people you cannot trust. And so if you have somebody who, I mean, when's the last time you, you looked at somebody who says, you are, you are a greedy person and I cannot associate with you any longer because you are always wanting more and you're using me and you're using people to get what you want. 
I mean, whenever, whenever we call, how, when it, I mean, in, in the Western society, because we all like nice things, even myself included, I, I, we have to be in check, my friends, with the greediness in our hearts. It's like it's never enough. We're never satisfied. We're never content. But this kind of greed, this greedy person, because notice he doesn't just say greed, you know, watch out for greed. He says greedy. So that is applying to an individual who must have more no matter the cost. It's a serious sin and it must not be overlooked. People become callous as a result of it. Uh, Their sensuality grows as a result of it and they will practice every kind of impurity because they are greedy, all right? So I want you to examine your life. When we judge people righteously in the church who are greedy, call it out. Don't let them get away with it. Now the swindler, this is a person who is dishonest or fraudulent and they still even with the means of using violence, whatever means is necessary. And so a swindler is not just somebody who's trying to, to, to reach the gold, right? Like a gold digger. This is somebody who's just dishonest. This is somebody who's like a psychopath. This is somebody who's a narcissist. This is somebody who uses fraudulent behavior. They mimic people. In order to build rapport, they they genuinely have no authenticity to themselves. And they paint a picture for everyone to believe that they are legit and they are a swindler. Man, I've seen not just greedy people, obviously, and dealing with that sin in my own life, but praise God that when I kind of look at my life, honestly, and my wife and I were just praying about this the other day, we've never really been motivated to have nice things. We never, that doesn't motivate us. Our, our intentionality in, in serving the Lord and doing ministry is not to make a lot of money. God's always been faithful and good. We've had hard times. I'm sure you've had hard times. We've Times when we've had to put money on credit cards and having our little children and not having health care insurance and putting some more on the credit card and having to focus for years on getting out of debt. And praise God we have. And learning a lesson or two, just like we can't live a certain way. We weren't buying you know, brand new cars at the time. We weren't buying a beach house. We weren't living beyond our means. We were barely scraping by paycheck to paycheck. And so, yeah, a lot of the positions I had in the ministry weren't paying the bills, but it wasn't like I got to get out of this job and go get some and paid, get made, paid more money. It was like, God, I'm doing what you call me to do. And what's rewarding about it is loving your people, discipling people, shepherding people. That's why I do what I do. And, but along the way in the ministry, you, when you come across greedy people, when you come across swindlers, we have to be discerning, my friends, and you have to remove yourself from those kind of people. Otherwise, they're going to take you for a ride and they're going to ruin your life. And sometimes it may be painful when you have to cut something out that you have relied on in a dysfunctional, dishonest, and unhealthy way. This is what Paul's dealing with. He's calling out these sins and these individuals. And the third one he refers to is idolaters. Now in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 10, the Greek word for idolater is etiolotreus. Now this is a compound word. And it's a combination, again, two different words of dealing with idol and the worship or the practice or the service of. So, it, so this word idolater literally could be applied to the phrase or the name worshiper of idols. And so it's referring to someone who engages in the worship or the veneration of false gods or idols. 
Now, I just wrote a book called Hijacking Jesus where I believe a lot of the, the progressive Christianity, well, progressive Christianity at the heart of it is a false doctrine. It's a false gospel. And they worship a false deity of Jesus, whether he's a woke teacher, he was, he was just a miracle worker uh, who, who used uh, uh, magic. So he was more like a trickster. The way they venerate the images of Jesus into their own liking, that is idolatry. You know, um, people who profess to be Christians and yet they believe all religions are true, which a lot of progressive Christians do believe that. They're just, they believe Jesus was one path of many. And so Paul's cautioning against associating with people who engage in idolatry. That is not to be tolerated, my friends, at all. That is demonic. And so when you talk to a lot of people who profess to know Christ as Lord and Savior and they're in their church and they're getting into the new thought movement, where they're getting into this manifestation of stuff and to the metaphysical and they believe there's divineness in them. And if they just proactively um, within their self, within self-revelation, that they have these, these ideas that they can manifest and express into reality and that will come true, that's false. That form of conscious thinking or contemplative prayer or that form of of uh, prosperity or word of faith or positive thinking, that is not biblical. Those are idolaters. When people bring in mysticism or new spirituality, like the new age stuff, that is idolatry. That is demonic. Those are doctrines of demons and you have to call it out. So I want you to, my friends, if you're, if you're heeding this as the word is being spoken to you, when Paul is saying here, hey, do not associate with these type of people who are greedy, swindlers, idolaters. These are people who make a life living out their sin. But then notice he says in verse 11, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of, the, uh, uh, of brother if he is guilty of sexual morality or greed or is an idolater, rivaler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a, such a one. So notice when he says here in verse 10, He's not meaning sexual more people of the world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you would not be out, you know, go out in the world. So he's saying, okay, you're definitely going to get that in the world, but then you're going to get in the church of people who are actually living sexual moral lives. And he says, notice, do not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty. So Paul's demeanor may seem harsh. Some of you may even think, well, Jay, you're being, you're, it's kind of a harsh tone. My friends, listen, because I care. When you have people who are taking advantage of you, when you have people who are saying, like again, like he says, they're bearing the name of brother or sister in Christ, and yet they're guilty of greed, idolatry, being a rival, a drunk or a swindler. The Bible says don't even eat with such a one. We have to call this out. We become so lax, we become cowardly, we make excuses for people in our lives who makes who commit sin. Um, we're not willing to confront the sin. So Paul specifies that Christians are not to fellowship or have anything to do with those who call themselves a Christian and yet live disobediently in their unholy pursuits of sin. And so this key phrase here, expel the wicked person from among you in verse 13, this is so important for us to understand. 
because we're going we're gonna to touch on verse 13, but I bring it up here because this is what Paul's referring to is going back to Deuteronomy 17, verse 7. And he's invoking the Torah. He's reminding the Corinthians about the holiness required within God's own covenant within community. God has a covenant with us. There are bylaws. There are restrictions because there are standards. And so he asked them to make the hard decision of separating from a beloved fellow believer in Christ, somebody who professes to know Christ, and it could be a family member. But if they are in this impediment, if they're in this sin that is dominating their lives and their conduct is not being consistent, but it's persistently unrepentant and sinful, so for the overall the overall health and well-being of you and for the purity and sanctification of the church, you have to remove yourself from that individual. And in many cases, you have to remove that person from the fellowship. That's part of the consequence of their active, habitual, rebellious sin. Christians are not to overlook sin, but they are to call it out. If sin is not dealt with in the proper order, it can spread, causing further damage to the lives of others in the church. And moreover, my friends, disassociating yourself from those who willingly undermine the word of God prevents many people from being confused because they're wondering, okay, that person professes to be a Christian, but man, they are not living it. I know that much. I know, I, I know enough about Christianity that when they're living sexual moral lives outside of marriage, when they're cohabiting, when they're getting drunk and wasted, when their greed is consuming them, where they take people for their money, they take them for a ride, they use the pulpit like a lot of these prosperity people, they know that's wrong. And that's why we have to disassociate and we have to say, when you have somebody who's out there writing books, doing podcasts or whatever, and they're not preaching the word of God, you have to tell people that person is living in sin. I can't say whether or not they're a Christian, but I definitely can tell you what they're teaching is not the word of God. What they're saying and how they're living is not the word of God. When you have people like Andy Stanley, who is not only embracing LGBT people in the community, saying they're born this way and accepting same-sex uh, people in their, in their church and serving, and people who are actively gay or trans now, and they're sending their family members of the church and children to be counseled by quote-unquote biblically based gay activist counselors that my friends is false doctrine when you're having people like david gushi who i who refute in my book hijacking jesus who's speaking at annie stanley's church for a conference for lgbt people and this guy believes that jesus is not god i mean this you guys that's heresy and and, and yet people are succumbing to this and the bible says not to even eat with such a person well let's look at these rivals these slanderers who are these people that paul's referring to this is a person a rivaler or a slanderer is a person who mocks god's order commands and authority well that's what a lot of these people have done that annie stanley is associating with that's just one example because a lot of us know who annie stanley is and it's very sad very sad but the bible's very clear not to even eat with such a person, a drunkard, a person who abuses alcohol. Not to eat with such a one. So in that time, remember that phrase, not to eat with such a one. And in that culture, eating together showed a bond. It showed a union with the, the other person. And I like what David Guzek in his Enduring Word commentary says. He says, quote, Paul's point is not that Christians should not have contact with sinners of the world, but that we should not imitate fellowship with someone or have, excuse me, have no intimate fellowship with someone who calls themselves a brother yet persists in unrepentant sin. 
The idea isn't to judge the world, the worldly who don't claim to follow Jesus, but to deal with those in the church who are sinning and unwilling to turn from their sin, end quote. So therefore, my friends, when, when it says not even to eat with such a one, we need to avoid this kind of fellowship with those who are in willful sin. That needs to be practiced. We need to enforce this in our lives because a lot of the problems, a lot of the division and the divisiveness that we're seeing in the church and the compromise is because we don't deal with those people who are in willful sin. So then he says in verse 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. So in closing and going back to what I was referring to earlier, expel the wicked person from among you, giving this, you know, from the context of Deuteronomy 17, verse 7, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are to remain concerned with the affairs within the church. I love the bride of Christ. You, my friends, love the bride of Christ. And as a result, just like if I'm married to Celia, 22 plus years and counting, okay, do I let her be defiled? Do I put her in harm's way? No, I'm called by the Lord to love her as Christ loved the church, to wash her in the water of God's word, to dwell with her in understanding that she's the crown of my life, that he who finds a, a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So there is a jealous love that I have, that she and I are one flesh in a covenant before God who have four children and run a ministry that impacts the world. And our friendship matters. So I don't let, nor, nor does she have a desire, but it's not like, like, I don't care, you can go off and be with whoever you want to be. No. If there's danger, I am there to protect her. I'm there to take care of her, to, to, to protect and to provide. And, and, and allow uh, the Lord to use her as a Proverbs 31 woman who runs the affairs of the home and, and is the senior advisor who God has given great discernment and counsel and hospitality and generosity and affection. That, my friends, is huge. And so as a result of that, when you put these things in proper context and we're thinking of the bride of Christ, the church, we're not to get wrapped up in these worldly affairs. We are called to model God's counter-cultural standards in a way that stays true to who he is and what God expects of his church. That is so true. And that's one of the reasons when in doing apologetics over and over and over again, people get so wrapped up. And I, you know what? I don't blame them to some degree. I don't. When all you see is worldly affairs in the church and thinking you guys are no different. Your marriage rates of divorce, right? Your divorce rates are are. are are almost the same as the world. And that's true to some degree, by the way. I think that's been blown out of proportion. But as a pastor for over 25 years, no doubt that I've had a lot of interaction with couples in the church who are not living, according to scripture. The number one excuse, or reason I should say, that millennials, specific millennials from 1983 to about 1997, of abandoning the faith. Now we, you know, they change it with Gen Z or about deconverting from Christianity, but the same thing more or less. The number one reason they gave me when I was working with that age demographic as a student pastor in writing the book Abandoned Faith was hypocrisy. 
That was it. That was the number one reason. And as a result of that, they became disenfranchised with the church, uh, with authority. They began to question the authority of scripture. They didn't really have a firm grasp or foundation anyway. And so over time, when they started to tune in on a particular YouTuber or website or video they found on social media, some other platform or whatever, or go to a, a secular university, destroyed them. But a lot of those young people, it gave, in, it gave them an outlet. It gave them an excuse. It gave them a reason now. And you know that it goes back to because we are not judging rightly people within our own churches. Now, God will judge those on the outside, we're told in Scripture. Now, as I wrap up, I'm going to give you guys two quotes. One's from a commentary. It says, in the Roman Empire, this is the NIV application commentary, Christians in the Roman Empire had little opportunity to influence the laws of the land. In democracies, believers have both the right and the responsibility as citizens to promote their ideological and ethical convictions through legal processes. But they have no unique mandate as the church to try to Christianize nations, though they may and ought to speak prophetically to society about the moral issues of the day. On the other hand, Paul's words caution strongly against those forms of separatism that leave the church unable to function as salt and light in the surrounding world. That is so true. We, we need to make sure that when we are being salt and light, that we're not, in order to be salt and light, you can't live in a bubble. So we can't go that extreme. And then the other extreme, of course, is what, what this commentary is saying is we can't just embrace all the life like the Roman Empire, which is embracing all the cultures and all the religion, and all the polytheism, and all the paganism, and thinking that's going to unite we as Christians, we need to, to, to love Jesus, live a life accordingly, and to prophetically speak it to society, yes, to be a witness, but we have to address the sin in our own camp. When it says God judges those on the outside, John Gill's exposition of the Bible, this is what he says regarding this particular verse. For the saints shall judge the world, but not in this age, only at the last day. And this judgment is reserved unto Christ, the judge of all, end quote. So it's difficult, Lord. It's a difficult balance, my friends, no doubt, of loving and reaching out to people while preserving the spiritual health, character, and the well-being of the church. But please hear me when I say this. Look within first. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. And don't compromise. If you are a spiritual leader, if you, if you are in a position as an elder, you are a local pastor, perhaps maybe you fell upon this and you are in full-time ministry and you're responsible, you're a shepherd of people's souls and you're responsible uh, for the direction of the church and people look to you. I pray, my friends listening, that you will do the things that God has called you to do, even though they're hard, even though you may question yourself, even though you may not be backed, uh, and even though, and I've been a part of a church where the leadership decided to look past, they look beyond, they excuse sin of an individual, and that was wrong. That was sinful. What they basically did was they cared more about 
their reputation in the community, in the finances, in the buildings, in the prestige of the ministry, in the longevity, in the legacy of the ministry. But you know what legacy they have now? It's a tarnished one. Because what, what they did basically was they kicked Jesus out. And there's Jesus, right, banging on the door, wanting to dine with him. And they're more interested in maintaining what they've built and what people thought of them. And a lot of times you, when I travel in these churches and we're calling out sins, a lot of people want to, they want to, they want to, they, they kind of hush it, right? They kind of silence it, put it to the side. You want to deal with it, you know? And I'm like, you guys, we have to deal with the marginalized people. We have to deal with the sin in the lives of people here. And if you don't, um, then they're going to start affecting other people. They're going to be victims, Right? And remember that type of sin, it doesn't just affect people's thinking, it, it, it affects their living, their being. Sin kills, it destroys. So I pray you use discernment, I pray you be bold in what God has called you to do. And I pray that if this ministry has impacted you and you love studying the Bible with me, which how, and I love studying it with you, I'm, I'm encouraging many of our listeners out there, whether it's on Spotify, it's on Apple, uh, whether you get it on uh, SoundCloud or other platforms out there, I'm encouraging you guys to become a Stand Strong supporter. Be a monthly supporter. Even if many of you guys right now, if you started to give $25 a month, you started to give $50 a month, you started giving $100 a month, whatever you can give, whatever you feel led to give, that you will help come alongside myself personally, my family, and many of my colleagues and coworkers who help build and maintain the work that we do here at Stand Strong Ministries. And this is one of them, this outlet, Stand Strong in the Word, where we devote time in God's Word to help Christians become literate and, and, and empowered with the truth of God's Word to get proper context into our personal lives, into the lives of our churches and our societies as a whole. And so I need you guys to pray. I need you guys to, to let us know how this is impacting you. We love to hear from you. So you can email us at info at standstrawministries.org. Leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. If every week you automatically have this download on your device and you just click play and you listen to it when you're working out or cooking or in the car, whatever the case may be, or you're there sitting in your room with the Bible open going through 1 Corinthians with me, I encourage you guys, become a Stand Strong supporter and leave us a review and spread the word for other people so they can study the word of God with us. I love that. I love the community of people that God has given us as each month we continue to grow and reach more people with the gospel. So I love you guys. Until next time, continue to stand strong in the word of God. Music.